0: This is Saving Grace, living in light of God's love. A podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology. A seminary to the world, committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace.
1: Hello, I'm Carmen Pate. I'm your host today uh, for today's podcast. We're so glad you joined us. Uh, Dr. Dave Anderson proposes in his new book, Position and Condition, that Satan's rebellion opened two attributes of God into question, his sovereignty and his love. Who has the right to rule the universe? Is it God or is it Satan? And who is worthy of being loved? Is it God or is it Satan? Well, hopefully for you the answer is easy. But does our behavior reflect what we believe? Well, Dr. Anderson is back with us today to help us understand the gap that may exist in our daily walk and how we can better align our behavior with our belief. We are in the midst of a series of discussions on his newest book, Position and Condition. Dr. Dave Anderson is the President and Professor of Biblical Languages and Systematic Theology at Grace School of Theology, He's a graduate of Rice University. In addition, Dr. Anderson received his Master's in Theology and Doctorate in Greek New Testament and Early Christian Literature from Dallas Theological Seminary. He's authored numerous books, and today we're excited to talk about this newest release, Position and Condition. Welcome back, Dr. Anderson.
0: Carmen, great to see you. Have you had a good week?
1: Oh, it has been a good week and always good to get back uh, and talk with you. I I love uh, continuing this discussion on your new book. Well, you know, in in your book, you write, The gap between what we believe and how we behave is caused by what is or is not in our hearts. Help us to understand that.
0: Well, most of us do what we feel like doing. That's why so many young people are compromised during their teenage years because their feelings get wrapped around something that may not be healthy for them. Mm. Uh, and even if they don't want to do it, they do it because yes. they're following their feelings. Well, you can't blame that on teenagers. We all tend we to all do, do that. It. We all tend to do that. Yes. So it's imperative that uh, for a Christian that what's in his head gets in his heart if he's going to follow God. Remember, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart. heart. It's not, the Christian uh, Christian life is not a head trip. And uh, it's good for people to take the Bible seriously and to study it. And, you know, it's only through that truth that we're ultimately sanctified. But if we just park it all up here in our heads and it doesn't get down into our hearts, uh, it will have no practical effect uh, in transforming our lives. So, you know, here in Ephesians, he's, Done a lot of deep diving in verses three through fourteen, going into these blessings we have positionally mm-hmm. through the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. But then he 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 pauses for a prayer because he says, "Now look, uh, no one is going to fully understand all we just covered. But uh, whatever amount you understand, I hope it gets down into your heart." Mm-hmm. And that's really what he's praying when he talks about the word heart. Uh, in verse 17, or verse 18. Uh, having the eyes of your heart enlightened to know. Mm-hmm. So uh, the heart, you know, as I say in my book, a head start is not enough. Yes. You have to know it before you can apply it. Yes. But if it never gets to your heart, you'll never apply it. You see, most of us don't go from mind to will. You know, our internal psyche is made up of mind, emotion, and will. Mm-hmm. We don't go from mind to will. Not very many people, anyway. No. It goes through the emotions. So if our emotions aren't aligned with our mind, then our will won't be in conformity either. Right. And that yeah. causes the gap yeah. between what we say we believe and how we actually behave. And that's a mega problem. In a country where the world is so attractive, you know, if you go down to Haiti, the poorest mm-hmm. country in the Western Hemisphere, uh, they're either in voodoo, worshiping the devil, or if they come to Jesus, they come all the way. Why? The world's not an option for them. No. You know, the average uh, income, annual income is so low, I don't think you'd believe me if I told you what it is, because it's, it's below subsistence level. And uh, so uh, here in America, though, the world's a big time option. That's right. So... Uh, Lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. Is... It's always
1: that carrot dangling out through uh-huh. the Bible. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And and the world system is set up to make you want it, to chase after that. Mm-hmm. And, of course, James calls that being a friend of the world and a friend of God at the same time. Mm-hmm. He says it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. He actually says God will go out in battle armor to resist you if you're trying to be a friend of the world and a friend of God at the same time.
1: Because you fall in love with the world.
0: Yeah, he even uses, he even uses sexual imagery. He says yeah. you're spiritual adulterers. Yeah. Yes. yeah and uh, th- that doesn 't work yeah
1: <laughs> i 've had the the privilege over the years to to mentor and counsel uh, a lot of young women who have had trouble past mm-hmm. and these are women uh, whose hearts have been wounded right. and 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 I'm not a professional counselor, but i 'm a lay counselor and and am able to empathize because my heart was also wounded mm-hmm. for a number of years. Mm-hmm and And I he, so hear what you're saying when you talk about you know you have the knowledge or or some knowledge of God's word in your in your in your head, mm-hmm. but when you've got a wounded heart, your heart doesn't seem ready to receive God's truth and his promises mm-hmm. instead, those feelings of hurt and bitterness right. and those things kind of kind of uh overshadow that uh the book of Ephesians does bring us such hope uh, for those who are in that condition of being wounded and 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 so uh, it it seems like he he says he wants uh, Paul says he wants our hearts to be enlightened for the hope of his calling Mm -hmm. well that hope helps bring those who are wounded it gives them something to go yeah I want that hope so help us to understand what is that calling that, that Paul is referencing there, the, the, the hope of our calling.
0: It's to be a billboard of his grace. Mm-hmm. As you get further into the book of Ephesians, he makes that more and more clear. Okay. That's our ultimate purpose. Yeah. So uh, you can move toward that purpose if you haven't been wounded. You can move toward it if you have been wounded. Mm-hmm. But it gives you a transcendent cause to live for. In Jesus' words, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So uh, everything that happens to us in life can be subsumed under that overarching transcendent. That's why we call it transcendent, because uh-huh. it rises above uh-huh. uh, the hurts, the disappointments of this life, and we'll always have them. Uh-huh. As long as this is a transitory world, as long as we are transitory, uh-huh. that means at the very bottom level, there are going to be broken relationships. Yes. I'm not talking about divorce here. I'm talking about uh, we die, we leave our loved ones. Our loved ones die, they leave us. Mm-hmm. And then along with that transitory world are all the things of this world that change in meaning as we pass through the different passages of life. So uh, a transcendent cause rises above all that and yeah. gives you something to live for. That's why we, I say this is a, a purpose-driven church full of mm-hmm. purpose-driven people because they have purpose-driven lives. And that purpose is to glorify God. Well, sometimes you can glorify God more when you're hurt yeah. than when you're not hurt. Oh, Because yeah. as I remember, it seemed like somewhere someone named Jesus was hurt, mm-hmm. wasn't he?
1: Yes, he was.
0: And had a wounded heart, didn't he?
1: Yes, he did. In
0: mm-hmm. fact, it says he came to bind up the brokenhearted, to heal the brokenhearted. And yet I think he himself literally died of a broken heart. Oh, wow! He was rejected by the city, by Jerusalem. He wept over it. He was rejected by his best friends. Then father, he says, my God, my God. Mm. You know, that's the only time he calls the first member of the Trinity God. All the other times it's father. But the fellowship with the father was broken for the first time. So he calls him God, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Mm. Typically you die in three days on the cross. I mean, if you're crucified mm-hmm. and you die of suffocation, he didn't die of suffocation. When that sword went into the interstitial spaces and water came out, that mm-hmm. meant his pericardium was full of water. He died of a broken heart.
1: Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I've not heard that.
0: Yeah. Wow. And that's why I think he was so twisted. It yes, said he was marred yes. more than any man, uh-huh. and it says in Psalm 22 every bone was out of joint. Mm-hmm. Well, crucifixion doesn't cause that. So what caused that broken fellowship with his father, taking all the sins of the world upon him, twisted him.
1: My goodness, that's, that's fascinating. Mm. So when we think about, uh, you know, the suicide rate today, we were talking last time about, uh, just, just the the hate that's in the world today. The suicide rate is, is extremely high today, Mm -hmm. uh, particularly among the, the younger generation, uh, they need this—the hope of his calling. Yeah, uh, that it's it's above them. It's transcendent. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, they, uh, ever since Hiroshima, uh, we've moved into postmodernism. Modernism said man's mind and science can solve the problems of the world. We're getting better and better. Well, World War II pretty well said no. The most advanced country in the world scientifically was Germany. Look what they did with their great knowledge. Mm-hmm. And Then we come along and. Uh, Through our knowledge, uh, we drop a couple bombs, and all of a sudden young people are waking up, hearing about bomb shelters back in the 50s, and they're starting to say, wait, uh, man's mind didn't solve the problem, it just helped us learn how to kill each other faster. So they moved into postmodernism, which really says there is no meaning. There's no sense, there's no purpose. As Camus said, it's absurd. Well... There's not a lot of hope in that, is it? No, there? there's not. And, and therefore, you see yes. that worked out in their behavior mm-hmm. and in their purposelessness and in some of the things they go to to uh, deal with the pain of still living in a purposeless life, uh, world. Yes. Yes. This gives them purpose, gives them hope, gives them something to live for.
1: Wow. We should all, as believers, be out there just shouting this from the rooftops in love, right?
0: I heard that with my bad ear. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, well, you know, a lot of Christians today talk about pursuing holiness. Uh, I'd like your thoughts on that, that idea of pursuing holiness. And then and then is holiness a matter of our position or our condition or both?
0: Well, holiness uh, is seen in four ways in the scriptures. Uh, we have what we call prospective sanctification. The word sanctify and holy are the same. One's a noun, the other's an adjective. But holiness and sanctification are the same word. Okay. okay, so you have perspective holiness, you might call it, or perspective sanctification. that's what we like in Jeremiah one five, Jeremiah says that he was sanctified in the womb, and this word holiness or sanctification means to be set apart from something to something. So he set us apart for God's service. That was perspective sanctification. Then you have positional sanctification, where he says in uh, Hebrews chapter ten, verse 10 that you have been sanctified completely. He puts that in the perfect tense in the Greek language, Uh which means it's a completed act with current results. So the completed act is total, perfect holiness. Well, you and I know we're not in our condition perfectly holy, but we are in our position. That's positional holiness. When God looks at you, he puts on his S-O-N glasses, his sunglasses. Mm -hmm. They're tinted red, and it filters out all of our sin. There's removed as far as the east is from the west, buried at the bottom of the sea, Thank perfectly you. holy. Yeah. Right? But we know in our condition we're not there. So then we have what we call progressive sanctification, where we are made more and more holy. In fact, he says in uh, Hebrews ten fourteen that you have been perfected forever. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say you, but those you're perfected forever, those who are being made holy. So there's your progressive, present tense, ongoing. Ongoing. Holiness, right? Mm-hmm. Then there's the final perfective sanctification, John, First John three three, and that's when we'll be holy. We'll be like him, for we'll see him as he is. But what we're wrapped up in now, you asked about is that position or condition? Well, it is both. Mm-hmm. Uh, one's your position in which he sees you as completely finished act, holy. And then the other's your condition. So it's back to realizing your position into your condition as the Holy Spirit works on us progressively through our lives. If we'll yield to him, that's back to a fact you can resist him, you can quench him, you can self-abort the process.
1: And and it's not a legalistic process of becoming holy. Uh, It's, it's again, resting and allowing him to to live and work in and through you, right?
0: Yes. Uh, The Christian life is a a rest, not a labor. You know, it's, it's... Resting in him to do the work. And that that gets discouraging at times. I had a forester take me out to show me how he marks trees to be, to be cut down, to be harvested. Mm-hmm. And along the way, he stopped at a tree that had been cut down previously, and he showed me the rings. And he said, you know, through the rings, we tell how old the tree is. Yeah. He says, how long do you think it takes to form a ring? Well, of course, I don't know anything about that. He said, the ring is formed in three months. That's the growth spurt. That's in the spring. Uh-huh. And then the rest of the year, the tree is just sort of digesting, you might say, the growth that's already taken place. It's assimilating its growth. Okay. Well, the Christian life's not a lot different from that. We have growth spurts. Sometimes our growth spurt is in the midst of one of our deep trials of life. Mm. No doubt. And then the Lord comes along and says, all right, let's have you know some time of assimilation here. And you might seem not to be growing. Or you might even think you're going backwards, which can happen. Mm-hmm. uh but as we rest in Him, He then brings another growth spurt and keeps moving us along.
1: Yes, yes. And during those times when we feel like we're put on a shelf, or, or uh, maybe it's in in one of those times of struggling and we're crying out, and maybe we feel like God's not hearing, hearing us at that time. I I think those are the moments that I most feel like, like Paul. It's like, well, I I know I know what I want to do, and I'm not doing it. I, I you know all that, just that struggle. a oh, wretched man that I am, and uh, uh, we've talked about how you know the the closer we grow, go to get to the Lord, the more wicked we realize we really are in our heart, and, and how how far we have to go to become more Christ like. And Paul, that was Paul's experience. It's my been my experience. You mentioned in the book that's kind of been your experience too. Mm-hmm. So in those moments, in those moments when we just think, oh. I just, you know, I don't know if I could do this Christian walk. What is your advice? Because I think we all go through those times of of dryness, uh, being in the desert, being put on a shelf, et cetera.
0: Okay, well, let me clarify one thing. Uh, I think uh, what Paul is saying when he says, I'm chief among sinners, is not that he's actually acting out more than anyone on earth sin. I think he's becoming more and more aware of his complete depravity yes, yes. that every area of his being has been affected by the fall. Right? Right. So I think that's the realization that keeps growing as we grow closer to Christ and with that a greater and greater appreciation of what he has done for us and, and for, the, for the blood of Christ. Uh, so I, I think it's important to not say I am uh, more and more wicked.
1: Right. Yes. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Yes,
0: uh, yes. But you are more and more aware. Aware,
1: yes. Uh,
0: yeah. Uh, but back to the struggle with um, temptation, the struggle really with the sin nature is where it gets down to. And that's where Paul wrote five, Romans 5 through 8 to help us with that. One thing that has helped me along those lines is just to recognize that my sin nature will never improve. I read a book by a a noted theologian one time who said, as you grow in Christ, your sin nature gets weaker and weaker. Mm -hmm. And I can remember looking forward to my sin nature (laughs) getting weaker and weaker. Mm -hmm. And as I became more and more aware of my depravity, I said, whoa, this isn't getting weaker. Mm -hmm. It wasn't my experience. And I haven't run into a Christian who says his sin nature gets weaker and weaker. Mm -hmm. So realizing that you're tethered to that sin nature for life, I think is helpful. Mm -hmm. You say, well, how's that helpful? That sounds discouraging. (laughs) Well... It's helpful in that you don't wake up after you've been a Christian 10 years or 20 years and say, whoa, this thing is still there, it's still ugly, it still has some of the same thoughts I had when I wasn't a Christian. Therefore, maybe I'm not. Therefore, maybe I'm not. You see, this struggle inside of Paul, I think, is a sign of being a Christian. I don't think the non-Christian wrestles with his sinfulness as much as the Christian does. He's not as convicted of it as the Christian oh, yes, is. Yes. I've, obviously, uh, John 16, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment when we're non-Christians. Mm-hmm. But when we become a believer, it's like he kind of woke up and our yeah. s- conscience is sensitized and we're more and more aware of sin in our life. So the point of what I'm trying to say is I don't think we should get discouraged when we uh, have these ugly, rancid, depraved thoughts passing through our minds. Now, the old thing, uh, you know, you can, uh, can't can keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep it from building a nest in your hair. That's where Paul and Corinthians is saying, take every thought captive mm-hmm. under the obedience of Christ. So through the power of the spirit, uh, that's what we seek to do. But you can't keep the thoughts from running through there. Uh, nor can you keep the devil from whispering in your ear. You know, he's the accuser of the brethren, and he'll accuse you of being no good, you miserable failure.
1: You'll never change. You'll,
0: you'll <laughs> never be uh, any better. What a hypocrite you are. Mm-hmm. And on and on and on. <laughs> he goes, well, I think it's important to recognize that's one of the wiles of the devil. And he'll do that to discourage you. The moment you step into God's army, not in God's family. You can be in God's family if you're not a committed Christian or an all-out disciple. But once you decide to join the army, that means you're a disciple. Because you're saying, use me however you want. You don't go in the army and say, well, I will serve uh, in England, but not Afghanistan. <laughs> right. When you go in the army, you're saying, here I am. Here's my body. Here are my gifts and talents. Do what you think is best with me. Mm-hmm. The moment you do that, the devil begins his attack to get you to quit. Yes. He always wants you to quit.
1: Oh, no doubt about it. There's
0: 50 different ways to try. So I think, I think it's helpful to recognize the sin nature is with us forever. I mean, not forever. Mm-hmm. While we're alive on this earth in the flesh. It's, it's going to be an ongoing struggle. But that doesn't mean we're defeated by it. In fact, part of the victory is to recognize us there, that we have a very active enemy. Um, you know, C.S. Lewis's screw Tape letters isn't too far from reality, that these, uh, right. these minions of the devil, his mm-hmm. demons, are out there doing his, their bidding to get us to trip up or to fall. And then to realize that uh, until we're like Jesus, there will be some failures. But the just man falls seven times; it rises up eight. Mm. So I think we have to keep that in mind as well. Yeah. Yes. I'm going on and on here and starting to preach. So no, <laughs> I, it's, I think
1: it's so needed uh, because I I hear this so often, Dr. Anderson. Uh, people that doubt, you know, maybe I'm not a believer. They'll they'll, yeah. they'll cres- question. Yeah. But it's 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 the lies of the enemy uh, that are now now certainly we. If, if if there's sin to confess, we 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 do have First John one nine to to confess if we feel like we have failed. But but that just just wallering and, and yeah. that well, so- you
0: have these two levels of, of theologians writing in the New Testament. One is uh, Paul, who's what I'll call a preventive theologian. He's giving you a driver's education course. He's saying, uh, drive safely behind the car in front of you. Don't get too close. Learn to use your signals. Doing all these things to teach you not to have a wreck. Yes, right? Right, right. But John is a corrective theologian. Mm-hmm. He's saying, oh, by the way, if you wreck, and by the way, if you say you're never going to wreck, you're already in trouble. <laughs> right. So he gives us First John 1, 9, a confession. He's telling us where the hospitals are, how to mm-hmm. call 911, you know, what to do when the ambulance gets there. So that's a little different approach than Paul's taking.
1: Yes, yes. They're both true. Right.
0: Both needed. Paul's trying to help us be free from the power of the sin nature. Uh, John's trying to help us restore fellowship when we trip up.
1: Both critical yeah. in our in our daily walk. Right. No doubt about it. Wow. Well, Paul goes on to say that he wants the eyes of his readers' hearts open to appreciate the riches of the glory of God's inheritance mm-hmm. in the saints break that down for us a little bit, the riches of God's glory in our inheritance.
0: Well, inheritance is a uh, what the Germans would call a it's, a it's a very key word in the New Testament and in the Old. Uh, when they came into the promised land, uh, Moses was there on Mount Nebo saying, I want you to do two things. One is to enter the land, and the other is to possess the land. And uh, in Hebrew, possession and inheritance are interchangeable. And so, When they got into the land, uh, the Hebrews were the first self-governed nation that we know of on earth. They broke it up into states, meaning each um, tribe. And then uh, the states were broken up into inheritance plots. Every family got its inheritance, its piece of land. Now, they could mortgage that land, Mm -hmm. but uh, it couldn't be foreclosed on them. Year of Jubilee, all these things. uh, They could get it back. All right. Well, that was their inheritance, that was their reward. When you get to the New Testament, the uh, word inheritance, like um, Colossians 3.24, he's telling you to, whatsoever you do, do heartily as unto the Lord, not as unto men, for we shall receive the...
1: Inheritance.
0: Reward of the inheritance. The reward of the inheritance. So when, uh, when they saw the word inheritance, there are several levels of inheritance spoken of in the New Testament. And... Usually it's our inheritance. The saints, we're getting inheritance. We get a reward for serving him faithfully, as Colossians 3.24 says. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, this is flipping it. Now it's saying the saints are God's inheritance. But when you see inheritance, they're thinking reward. So his reward for sending his son down to earth, dying on our behalf, uh, taking it all upon himself, is us. That's his reward. For, All
1: who choose him and say yeah. he's worthy of our love and worthy yeah. of our obedience. Right? Yeah, it's really a
0: beautiful way yeah. to, to picture God's attitude toward us, that he actually views us as a reward for the faithful service and suffering of his son. Wow.
1: Mm-hmm. Again, that what motivation to want to serve him because oh, yeah. realizing how it breaks his heart when we, right. when we don't. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. You know, we, when you talk about just how awesome Christ was, when we consider how he broke the greatest racial barrier uh, there was, that between Jew and Gentile, uh, he really put every tribe, every race, every gender into one, one body, that one body of Christ. Wow! What when we talk about reflecting Christ, the church has this beautiful opportunity today to reflect that to a world that is so racially divided, so divided by gender, so divided—you know, just incredible. Uh, how how have we missed that boat as the church? And and what what can we do as individual believers uh, to to help re- re- correct this issue?
0: Well, you know, that's, that's a big question, uh, Carmen, but it, it all kind of gets back to uh, treating everyone with respect, uh, the golden rule. Uh, that, and even Jesus taught that But when he says love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, so as you do that, uh, it's, it's back to Christianity elevating every person to the same level, that, and that every individual's life is of, of infinite value. Mm-hmm. That, again, if you were the only one to trust Christ, he would have died just for you if you were the only one out of the whole world. So that's putting his life on the line just for one person. Mm -hmm. Uh, My wife and I recently saw the movie with Kevin Bacon called Taking Chance. If you haven't seen it, I'd I'd, I'd look at it. Uh, But it's about a young man named Chance who was killed over in Iraq. Mm -hmm. And then it takes it from his dead body all the way to the, the funeral. And most of it is about the escort. There was a sign to him to take him all the way back. And you're moved to tears several times along the way as you see the respect uh, treated to that one individual that died. Mm-hmm. It's very, very moving. Yes. And as I was watching, I couldn't help but think, that's the way God looks at each of us, wow. each mm-hmm. one of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the way we should look at each other. Yes. That each individual, no matter what gender, race, uh, nationality, social status is of equal value and is deserving of equal respect. Yeah. Well, that's not true in uh, fascism. That's not true in no, that's communism. Not. That's not true. Certainly wasn't true in Nazism.
1: No, no. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's a, a beautiful picture. And it just reminds me as we close today of the importance of us recognizing that we can't, we can't love other people in our own power, and can 't reflect Christ in our own power, we yeah. certainly need the power of the Holy Spirit in our closing moment. Uh, uh, just talk about that power that we have that we don 't access uh, and and just what that would mean if each Christian, each individual believer uh, would would access that power
0: <laughs> i don 't know what that would look like <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah. Well, you know, in Philippians 3, uh, I see what I call the yardstick of uh, conformity to Christ. So you start off by faith, you know, to know him. That's the Mm -hmm. Greek word, gnosko, which means to experience him. And it takes faith to do that. Faith is the first step, you know, when you're born again. That's the one-inch line. Uh, There are lots of people in church who have taken the step of faith to trust Christ as their personal Savior, and they're Mm -hmm. born again, they're in the forever family. But that's as far as their faith goes. Because he says the next step is to have faith or trust in the power of the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Well, that means you have to take what Jesus did for you and what the Holy Spirit will do for you into your life. Mm-hmm. And you have to come to him with areas of need, with problem areas, with areas where you may be enslaved to the sin nature or just areas of health or areas of uh, finances. You have to take Him uh, those areas to him and watch him work. That's when you experience his resurrection power. But that's another step of faith. You know, that's, uh, that's, that's more than just receiving the free gift of eternal life. Uh, sometimes, you, um, to move us into that, God will have us uh, get out of the boat. I love when we go to Israel, we, we've actually found the, the footprints of Jesus across the Sea of Galilee. It's, it's quite fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> and we go right in the middle. We stop where, uh, undoubtedly, Peter got out of the boat. I kind of go over that story and invite Peter, invite the people to have the faith that...
1: Get out of the boat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you really don't need faith until you get out of the boat, do oh, you? Oh, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. And why? That's very, very uncomfortable, getting out of the boat. Mm-hmm. So uh, most of us like comfortable Christianity. Why? Because it's comfortable. It's
1: comfortable, yes. <laughs>
0: we don't like discomfort. But faith often isn't manifested until, there's, uh, mm-hmm. until we get out of the boat. So you might ask yourself, what's your uh, area of comfort, and what might God be asking you to do uh, in order to get out of the boat and experience his resurrection power? Mm. Because resurrection power trumps the physical power. Remember, he said to the wind and the wave, peace be still, and they were. Or the woman comes along, touches his robe, and he feels power leaving him. That wasn't physical power. It was spiritual. It healed her, showing that spiritual power trumps physical power. So that's a special power. It's another dimension of power that we will not experience until we exercise faith. But that's, that's another step, right?
1: It is. Okay. It is growing more in His His likeness. I guess we experience in the through the trials and where we step out and trust Him to carry us tr- through, or or we, we take a risk to do more for Him, and, uh, and again depending on the Holy Spirit, and then. Maybe perhaps we'll experience
0: And you may need resurrection power that. to love that person who wounded you.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yes, you would. Yes, you would. Very, very good. Thank you, Dr. Anderson. Once again, seems when we return to our first love, Jesus Christ, and grow in our knowledge of him, our hearts will obey him. Our hearts will desire to know him more and more and serve him more and more. Uh, proving once again that God is worthy of our love, Mm -hmm. worthy of our obedience. Well, thanks to you, our listeners, for joining us today. It's always our prayer that our topics will stir your interest to get into God's Word, learn more about His amazing grace. Uh, If you haven't done so, we encourage you to check out the many courses that are offered through Grace School of Theology to expand your biblical knowledge of, of our Lord and to deepen your faith and love in Him. You may have friends and family who really need to hear about God's amazing grace. If you share our podcast, it'll be a perfect way uh, for you to begin those conversations with those you love. The podcast is yours. We want to hear your ideas for topics. We want to hear your questions, your comments. You can email those to us at savinggrace at gsot.edu or you can tweet us at savinggracecast. So glad you tuned in today, and remember, the love of Christ can never be earned, and it can never be lost.
0: You have been listening to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu savinggrace Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership.